Hello, Valley family. Happy Good Friday, everybody. We are in the uh, maybe the most influential weekend in the entire history of the universe right now, this kind of Good Friday, Easter weekend. Uh, speaking of Easter, we're doing our, our services on Saturdays and on, on Saturday and on Sunday. Um, as of the recording right now, there are still some spots left open for our Saturday Easter service. So if you want, you can go on to our website and you can uh, go ahead and sign up for a couple of those remaining spots for our Saturday Easter services. Sunday is um, quote-unquote sold out. It's just full. It's just what we have to do during COVID times to follow the guidelines. We have a, a cap in here for now, but Saturday is still open. So it's going to be a great weekend, a great Easter weekend. Uh, really excited and hoping to see everybody there. But for now, it's Good Friday. And Good Friday, man, Good Friday is a, is a thing unto itself. It's a, it's a fantastic, um, powerful day. And I'd like to share a little bit about what actually happened on Good Friday and what it means to us. So Good Friday, again, Good Friday and Easter, the most, probably literally the most important weekend in the history of the universe. Um, so important that there's a lot of like Christian thinkers that, that when they think about time, right, when we in our culture think about time, we think about uh, from the past to the present to the future, and it's kind of like a line, right? Well, in um, other times, people have thought about if Jesus and this weekend in particular, what happened on Good Friday and what happened on Easter is central to all the rest of the history of the world, the history and the future of the world, that this weekend is kind of like that, that splash in the middle of a pond. It's like a big rock in the middle of a pond, and the ripples just go outward and outward from that. It's that important. Everything revolves around the happenings and the events of this weekend about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ went to the cross and then rose again a few days later. It's that important. Everything revolves around that throughout the history of the world. Even before the advent of Jesus, even before Jesus showed up, excuse me, the incarnation of Jesus, the Old Testament all points to the truth in Jesus. So it pointed to him the whole time. It was rippling from that center of the history of time. Jesus showing up in the flesh and then going to the cross, dying, and then a few days later being resurrected. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So Good Friday, Good Friday in a way now is the story of the culmination of the clash between two kingdoms. We got on one hand, we got the kingdom of the earth, the kingdom of man, the kingdom of the world. And on the other hand, you got the kingdom of heaven. You have the, the king of kings, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of man. And they're kind of going to clash on this weekend, on this Good Friday in particular. It's going to kind of come to uh, boiling to a head. So um, we have a Good Friday depicting Jesus, the king of heaven, standing before that representative of the worldly kingdom in Pilate at his trial. So you have the, the king of heaven, Jesus, and Pilate, the representative of the the um, worldly kingdom. They're here in this story. We're going to pick it up in John 18. Jesus has been brought before Pilate. Pilate is a governor, and he's also like a judge in charge of dealing with, um, with people charged with crimes and stuff. They've brought him before Pilate uh, on trumped-up charges, and it's all about, who is this guy? Is this guy the king? Is this guy the king of the Jews? Who is this, this guy, this king? And we'll see here, John 18, verse 33. Pilate, he goes back inside the palace and he brings Jesus in with him, right? Summons Jesus and he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? 
This is the charge that, that he was brought up on. Uh, they were saying that the Jewish leaders brought Jesus before Pilate and they were so angry at him. They were so just trying to get rid of him, so jealous of him, right? Because people are flocking to him. People were seeing the goodness of him. They were, they were watching these miracles and these signs and wonders and they were flocking to him and these leaders and Pharisees and religious leaders of the day were losing their audience. People were no longer going to the Pharisees and, and, and giving them all the accolades and the glory of, oh, you're such a great you know, prayer warrior or you speak such great messages or you're so wise you know, teacher. They were leaving them and they were going over to Jesus and following Jesus and these people were jealous. They were jealous, so they bring Jesus up on these trumped-up charges. And we see here with Pilate. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Where are you getting this information from? Pilate goes on, the next verse. Am I a Jew? Pilate replies, he's like, what do I care? Right? They brought you before me on the charge that you're saying that you're the king of the Jews. What do I care if that's true or not? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? There's got to be something more, right? It's got to be something more than just, you know, you're the king of the Jews, right? It's like you must have done something more than that. What is it you have done? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. If you know your Bible, you know that Peter actually did try to fight to prevent the arrest of Jesus. Peter drew a sword when they came after Jesus, and he chopped off the ear of one of the servants that was there to arrest Jesus, and Jesus stopped him and healed the servant's ear and willingly left with those people that were there to arrest him. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. That's what happens in every other kingdom in the world, right? People protect the king until the death, and they fight, and they wage war, and they have swords and guns and whatever, and they will fight till the end, oftentimes, to protect the king. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not like that. This is a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different kind of kingdom. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Pilate I'm sure his eyes light up here. He says, you are a king then. Talking about your kingdom, you are a king yet. Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. In some translations, you say rightly or correctly that I'm a king. In fact, and I want you to follow this here, because this is going to be kind of the crux, part of the crux of the message. In fact, the reason I was born, you ever wonder why Jesus came into the world? Because he says it clearly, and he says it right here. The reason I was born and came into the world is to what? To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What a statement. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Another uh, version says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And I love Pilate's response. I wish that I could put it uh, like, like 30 uh, points of font bigger or whatever and have it in like blinking red because it's so awesome what he says. Pilate says, what is truth, right? Jesus says, everybody on the side of truth listens to me and Pilate says, what is truth? And with that, he, he walks away. He goes, what is truth? He walks away and he goes back to the Jewish leaders and he says, there's no basis. I find no basis for the charges against this guy right here. 
What's super cool is that it's, it's, this is a perfect kind of back and forth for our time and culture today because they're fighting over what is truth. What is truth? It shows that they weren't so different 2,000 years ago than who we are now. A battle over what truth is. You got Jesus here with, with what you call objective truth where he's saying like truth with a capital T, Right? It's truth with a capital T. I came into this world to testify to the truth with a capital T. And uh, Pilate is like, what's truth, right? What he's talking about is like, you know, maybe what's true for you isn't true for me. What is truth, right? It's in this uh, modern day and age, we'd call it like subjective truth. Or maybe in a modern vernacular, you might hear somebody say like, oh, speak your truth or this is my truth, right? This is kind of what Pilate is getting at here. What is truth anyway? Jesus makes an objective, firm claim. This is the reason I came for this truth that is a truth over everyone, regardless of what you think. And Pilate is like, yeah, but whatever's true for you, maybe not true for me, maybe not true for that guy. What is truth, right? What is truth? It's really kind of a neat back and forth here. An example of a, you know, subjective truth, like what Pilate is talking about would be maybe uh, if somebody says like, oh, it's freezing cold in here. And in the same room where that person is saying, oh, it's freezing cold in here, somebody over there is saying like, man, it is boiling hot in here, and they're sweating, right? It's, it's subjective. It's kind of subject to the person. It's subjective. That's what Pilate is kind of representing here. And Jesus is, is representing something much bigger with that capital T truth. He's saying something more like, you know, like something like, like the sun is hot or the sun gives off heat. It's like it don't matter what you feel about that. It don't matter what we, what, we, what we maybe even believe about that. It doesn't matter where we live. We can live on the North Pole or we can live on the equator. The truth that the sun gives off heat is just true no matter what, right? We are, we're kind of in the, we exist in the realm in a way of something greater than us of which we can't change the properties of that. That is truth no matter what. The sun is warm. Jesus is making objective claims. The truth with a capital T whether we feel like it's the truth or not. And that's what gets so offensive, right? And, and it's not just in, in this day and age. It's been so offensive throughout the history uh, since Jesus. Uh, it's, it's the idea of, I don't know how I feel about that, that truth that's kind of like imposing on me the whether I want to believe it or not. And it gets complicated because it rightly should bring up questions. People start asking questions when they hear that Jesus is making hard truth statements. I mean, I made the example of the sun gives off warmth, right? The sun is warm. The sun isn't even going to be around forever, right? The Bible teaches that someday the, the sun will, will, will be gone. It says here in Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth, Jesus says, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. The sun will be gone someday. Right? Maybe then you could say, rightfully say, no, the sun isn't warm because it's not, because it's gone. But the word of God, the word of Jesus will never pass away. It's going to last longer than the sun, the earth, the moon, and the stars. It's going to last forever. This is a truth that Jesus is claiming that is in more of a truth even than truth and facts about the sun and the moon and whatever else that we can think of. The word of God is going to live longer than those things are. It's going to exist forever. So crazy. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
then what is this truth that Jesus speaks of? And in a way, the truth is a history from garden to garden and tree to tree. A history from garden to garden and tree to tree. You see, what started with rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, let's take a look at it. Genesis 2. The Lord God takes the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, right? They started in a garden. The, the beginning of humanity is in a garden to work it, so he had a job, and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in this garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now there's a man, Adam, in a garden, talking with God at the beginning of humanity. And God gives him an objective truth. This is a truth that does not change however Adam might feel about that truth. It don't matter what you think about the tree, what you feel about the tree, how you feel about the tree being, you know, something that, that could kill you if you eat the fruit. It doesn't matter what you think about it, Adam, or Eve. It doesn't matter. It's the truth. And if you cross that, this is going to happen. Certainly die. Take God at his word. Certainly you will die. So what started with rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden ended in the betrayal of of the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane. His last remaining free moments before being arrested and going through the sham trial and being crucified, Jesus spent his last free moments in the Garden of Gethsemane talking to God, talking to his Father. So you have Adam at the beginning to Jesus over here at the end of his life. Uh, John 18, verse 2 and 3. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. Judas was a disciple, right? So Judas has actually been to this garden multiple times, probably, with Jesus. And Jesus is praying in this garden. And Jesus, Judas comes to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day, and the Pharisees. And they were all carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Came to the garden. What started with rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden ended in the betrayal of the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane from garden to garden. The truth from garden to garden. Jesus himself may have been let down in the Garden of Gethsemane by one of his followers, but the truth is that mankind has let God down from the beginning. From garden to garden. In fact, Romans 5, verse 12, says it like this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Wow. What color eyes do you have, right? What color eyes do you have? Do they come from a parent of yours, maybe? What color, what color hair do you have? Does that come from a parent of yours? What about your grandparents? Did they have the same color eyes or the same color hair? Do you, do you have any uh, 
personality traits that maybe you share with, with grandma or something. It's like she was, um, she dealt with anxiety or she was super outgoing and you either deal with anxiety or you're super outgoing and potentially if you knew her grandmother, maybe she dealt with anxiety or was super outgoing or had blue eyes like you have blue eyes. These things are, are genetics. They get handed down from generation to generation to generation. Sometimes there's great things. Sometimes there's terrible things. Prone to alcoholism, right? You can sometimes see it in a family. It's like, great grandpa, great, then it's grandpa, then it's dad, and then it's you, and then it's your kid, and then it's your grandchildren. And in a similar way, when Adam sinned because he was the first man, and from him and his wife, all humanity came from them, traced back to them. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world and it brought death. So it spread to everyone. All of their children. Death came into the world. See, what started back there in that Garden of Eden... They had a choice. They had a choice to make. They could stay with all the other trees, including the tree of life that was offered to them. But they chose from the tree that brought death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That brought death for them. What started with a tree ended with Jesus, the author of life, on a tree. A cross is a dead tree. It is not coincidence that it's from garden to garden and tree to tree. It is not a coincidence. There wasn't a conspiracy where all of these writers independently like, tried to like, think of how to match the story up with crazy, obscure things from the book of Genesis. It's just the way that it went down. And this is the truth, capital T, that we're faced with. The events in the Garden of Eden led to the events in the Garden of Gethsemane. The sin of Adam led to the sin in our lives. The death that Adam brought into the world led to the death in our lives. And if you don't believe me, look all around you. Turn on your phone or the TV. Look at the news for like 30 seconds. It's so full of people at each other's throats so full of just accounts of sin and sometimes full of lies itself. It's just so much in the human experience outside of our window, the wars and the hatred, the mistreatment and the brutality and the things done behind closed doors. It all comes back and stems from that Garden of Eden. And the choice that was made. From garden to garden and tree to tree. They chose from the tree that brought death. So death is what they got. And humanly speaking, all throughout human history, death is what we've had. Can you imagine how many wars have been fought in history? How many wars? Battles, murders, how much injustice. It's just like 
immeasurable. Do you see what's going on here? The truth of God trumped whatever lie Adam and Eve made themselves believe when they chose not to listen to God and ate the forbidden fruit. Whatever they felt about the tree, whatever they justified to themselves about eating that fruit, oh, it's going to make me wise. Oh, it looks really good to eat. Oh, I really desire that fruit. That was their truth. That truth didn't get them anywhere, did it? Didn't get them where they wanted to go, for sure. They ate the forbidden fruit, and then they and everyone who came after them paid the price. But the cost was too high. The plot twist is that we can't actually pay the price because the price is your life. And what do you have left when you pay your life? You have nothing left. All you have is death. The cost is too high. And death would have reigned forever. Do we understand that? It would have reigned forever. No hope. No redemption. No way back into that garden relationship with God. So God, that same God that we collectively turned our back on in Eden that same God became flesh. John 1.14, John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The same God became flesh. And just before he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, said this in John 17. Jesus, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. He's like, this is why I'm here. This is the hour. He knew what he was going to. And he laid himself down, laid his life down. They didn't just take it from him. He had the power. He could do whatever he wanted. But the hour has come, Jesus says, talking to his Father. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. What kind of a capital T truth claim is that? Authority over everyone, over Pilate, the governor, before whom he was actually on trial? Yeah, but over them. Over all the religious leaders of his day and the leaders of his people that put him up on trial trying to kill him? Yes, over them too. Authority over them too. Over King Solomon, the greatest? Yes. Over King David? Yes. Over Elon Musk? Yes. Over Putin? Yes. You have given him, Jesus, the Son of God, authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, bring me into the glory we what? We shared before the world began. A lot of times you get questions about the Trinity and like where do we get this idea of being co-equal and the Son and the Father and the Holy... From stuff like this. Jesus himself, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. should underline that in your Bible, circle it, whatever we need to do. That's such a, a good verse there. The glory we shared before the world began. See, the same gospel here, John, starts off, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's totally a shout-out because he's the only other book in the Bible that starts with in the beginning. John does. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's a shout-out on purpose to the first verse of Genesis, which also says in the beginning. They both say in the beginning. Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and John reveals a little bit more and says, yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there. Through him, all things were created. He was there at the beginning. He is the Word. When God says, let there be light, somehow Jesus, the Word, was right there. They shared glory before the world began. This same God, the King of heaven, the King of kings, the King of all creation. Was there from the beginning. See, from beginning to end, the truth is Jesus. The king of heaven come down to the earth, the earth that he created to pay the price for a people who didn't love him, who had already rejected him, turned their back on him, a people who had already blown it. This God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came down and willfully subjected himself to this sham trial. And the Bible says he was led to the cross like a sheep to the slaughter. Silent. Doesn't fight back. He didn't fight it because he knew what he had to go through to accomplish what he came for. He was on a mission. And that mission was to bring the truth that he is the way to eternal life. So John 19, 16 here, or 17, 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them, the soldiers, to be crucified. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called 
Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on each side, to the right and to the left, and Jesus in the middle. And verse 19, what does Pilate have? Because when you crucified somebody, it was a form of capital punishment. It was common, at least somewhat common during certain ages of the Roman Empire. And they would put people on this dead tree, this wooden cross. And above their heads, they would fasten a little sign, and it would be the charge that they were being killed for. In theory, the charge that they were guilty of. So the guy on the right and the left, in English we call them thieves or whatever, so they're more like marauders. There's like some violence implied in that. But for English's sake, we'll just say thieves, right? They would say that and the sign above their heads as they were being killed on that cross, on their crosses. But above Jesus's, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, to his cross. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The king. Remember, they mockingly dressed him in royal robes. Paraded him out in front of the people and they booed and hissed. And they put a crown of thorns on his head, mocking his, his kingship, right? The crown of thorns on his head. And they put a scepter in his hands. And they bowed down before him. I said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they took the scepter out of his hand, they beat him with it, and they spat in his face. And they took that king and they put him on a cross. They lifted the king on high up on that cross tattered and torn and beaten to the brink of death they lifted the king of heaven on high and his blood was all over that cross that dead tree that he was being killed on that his life was about to be given up on his blood on that dead tree and I'm sure in that moment he was thinking about the tree from Eden, from that Garden of Eden, and the choices that were made. And all the choices made since then. And the sin, all the sin, and the shame, all the shame. And he's thinking about the pain and the mistreatment, and the brutality, and the injustice, and the hatred, and the scorn, and the racism, and the lies, and the pride. The wars, and the hurts, and the tears, and the death of collective mankind. And on that wooden tree, where the author of life met death, He collectively took all of that sin and all of that death that has come since the Garden of Eden and brought it to himself. The 
there on that tree and willingly gave up his spirit and died very literally and very truthfully for you and for me. You see, the King of Heaven enthroned in glory. They already dressed him like a king. They mocked him and beat him. And they put him on a cross and lifted him high. And what you used to do with kings back in the day, oftentimes you would lift them high or they were considered from a high place and they'd come out and speak from a high place or be carried on men and they were up higher than normal people. Now this king of kings was lifted high and rather than the glory of the kingdoms of man, all the gold and the robes and the beauty and the best of the best food and the best health care and the best whatever, and Jesus has the opposite of that. His glory is not like their glory. So the king of heaven is there enthroned in glory, lifted high above the people for all to see, spat upon and humiliated, people yelling at him, scorning him even as he's on that cross. For you and for me. And we look to him now and we think about him on that cross and we say, our Lord and our God, be lifted high. Be magnified. Be glorified, Lord. Draw all men unto you, Lord. Let your truth, God, reign supreme as it does, Lord. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. Be lifted high, God. The name above all names. The king above all kings. Not our ways, but your ways, O oh Lord. Whereas once we didn't want to listen to you, we wanted to be our own rulers. We wanted to rule our own kingdoms. Now, God, we help us not want anything to do with anything but you. Help us to put down our wills, Lord. What you want, Lord. We just want what you want, Lord. Be our king. Be our ruler, Lord. We give our lives to you, Lord, because it's in you that our lives are truly found. I don't want to listen to myself. I don't want to run my own life, Lord. I want you to be my king. Be lifted high. We give up our right to be right, Lord. Line up any crooked way in us to the straightness of your truth, God. Our Lord and our God, our King, be lifted high. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So on this Good Friday, let's remember the truth 
the King of kings is lifted high.